Good morning. It's my privilege again to bring you the Word of God. We're turning again to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews written to set forth the surpassing excellence of Jesus Christ, that He is that final Word of God, that He is that glorious hope. And so this morning we turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 14 and read through chapter 5, verse 10. Hear then God's holy word. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. May the Lord indeed bless us with understanding of his word. This past week, I had a granddaughter with her family who moved into a new house. And these days, you don't have to listen on the phone to hear what that house is like. No, you video chat and You get to see wherever she takes you. Now, you can imagine that she, as she was taking her phone around, did not crawl under the house and go into the crawl space and say, look, Grandpa, look at all the tubing, look at all the wiring, look at all the plumbing. That's important in a house. But that's not what she was interested in. She was going to show where she was going to live. Look at our living room, look at our kitchen, look at my bedroom, look at my bed. These are the things because this is what a house is for. Those other things are necessary, but that's not what we focus on. It's where we live together with our family. And so as we come to this passage and we have Jesus set before us as a high priest, there's lots of information in the Old Testament about the high priest. And we're going to look at some of that this morning, but that's not the focus of the writer. It is Jesus as a high priest who is called 
and who has compassion. This is the focus. Because Jesus is not somebody who fulfilled some official obligation, some high and lofty position, but he came to be a friend of sinners. And so that's the focus of our text and will be the focus of our thinking this morning. Now, as Jesus is set forth as high priest, we think that there are really three offices that Jesus fulfilled in his ministry. The Old Testament sets forth those three offices of prophet, of priest, and of king. And all of these are fulfilled in Jesus. But when we look at the Old Testament, and as the people of God, Israel is established by God, and you have the instruction that comes from Moses... How much information is given concerning each of those offices of prophet, of priest, and of king? Well, if you begin reading in Genesis and you read through Deuteronomy, those books that Moses wrote, and you begin looking and say, well, where is all the instruction for the king? You have to read through to Deuteronomy chapter 18 before you get to the instruction concerning the king, and then it's less than a chapter. When you look for the instruction about prophets, you have to get to Deuteronomy chapter 13 before you get instruction, and then a little more in chapter 18. And so what is the rest going to be focused on? So much of it is on the priest, on the priesthood. All the details, all the instruction, all the care, all the precision for all the vestments that had to be made for the high priest, for Aaron, for his sons, all the rules and regulations they had to live by, all of the ministry that they had to do, and all of the details about the temple where the priest would minister, all of that focus. And why? Because it was the priests who would act on behalf of the people to bring them into the presence of God. This was the focus. This is what the people needed. This is what they had to understand. They could see from the other nations, rulers, the prophets would speak for themselves as the spokesmen of God. But for them to understand the ministry of the priests, that they might approach their God who delivered them out of Egypt, and brought them to the promised land that they might know how to come into his presence. This is why there is such a focus. And now, the writer of Hebrews, thinking back on the Old Testament and all that instruction, now is going to say, there is one far greater than Aaron, than any of the priests. It is Jesus, our great high priest. He describes him in that first verse. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And he says, then let us hold fast to our confession. When we think of the high priest, we think of his work, offering gifts and sacrifices. He did so on behalf of the people. And we think about Aaron And the point is made here that he was called 
He was called by God. He didn't take this upon himself. He didn't say, well, Moses is my brother, so I need a good position in Israel. He was called by God. He did not take that office upon himself. Verse 4 of chapter 5 tells us that. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And so he was called, separated out from all the others in order to minister before God. And as he would do that, as he was called, he was called then to act with compassion, to have a care, to think about those on whose behalf he ministered. And he was reminded that he could have that compassion. Why? Because he had been called by God and set apart, but he himself was still in need of the sacrifice that he offered on behalf of the people. He was separated to function in the holy presence of God. And there was a reminder of that for him, even as every time he would be officially dressed to go into the presence of God, we see in Exodus chapter 39, near the end of the chapter, verse 30, there was this reminder. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. This is that last piece described that the high priest would wear, signifying that he was called and separated to God for the service of the people. And as he would come, it was not a mere formality. It was as a representative of weak and erring and ignorant people. He himself would offer sacrifices for himself. In Leviticus 16, where you have that great day of atonement, the reminder of the the grace of God for his people. The high priest would first offer sacrifice for himself, for his sin, that he might approach God. And then he could offer the sacrifice for the people of God. And therefore, he was reminded. He did not come as someone who was better than all those other people. But he came as one who was dependent upon the grace of God himself. And so there was that compassion for the people who might even sin in ignorance. And there was provision for that, that when somebody had sinned in ignorance, that there would be provision for sacrifice, that they might not be judged by God because of their sin. And so Aaron and his sons and his sons after him had that calling to be compassionate, to seek the mercy of God, to present the sacrifices that there might be forgiveness of sin. And he was to represent the people of God. And that was, again, portrayed in a very concrete way. When Aaron, as high priest, would come before the altar and offer sacrifice, he wore a breastplate 
And on that breastplate, there were 12 precious stones. And what were on those stones? They were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. That he would carry them each time. He would present sacrifices to God. Not only that, but on, on his shoulders, there were clasps. And on those clasps, again, the names of the tribes of Israel, because he was going, representing them, carrying them, as it were, in his very being before God, into the presence of God. And this was all laid out. And there was great precision, but behind it, the people were to see that here was God's opportunity to show his grace, his compassion. Here is the provision that God made and said, here is how you may approach me. Because God himself is holy, holy, holy. And who could stand in his presence and not be consumed because of their sin? And God said, here is the priest. Here is his ministry. So that the people, my people may come before me they may hear my voice, that they might have fellowship with me, that they might know me, that I am their God and they are my people. And this is the background that is now being used by our writer to evaluate the ministry of Jesus, to set before us Jesus as high priest a greater high priest than Aaron, doing a greater work. And as Jesus takes on that role, that responsibility as high priest, again, it is noticed that he has a calling. He doesn't take this upon himself. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you, from Psalm 2. And then, in another place, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if Melchizedek sounds like a strange name to you, that you're unfamiliar with, come back and you'll hear another sermon on him that sets before us a, a wonderful mystery in the Old Testament that is revealed. Who is this Melchizedek? But Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is given that place, that honor, that position by God himself. It is he who is the Son, who is that glorious, eternal Son who takes on our nature so that he might be our high priest. This was the calling given to him by God, the calling that Jesus received and accepted so that he came not to do his own will, but the will of his Father, that he came to finish the work that he was sent to do. And he is that great high priest, the Messiah that was promised already in Genesis 3.16. He is the serpent head crusher who would defeat Satan and sin, and death. But he comes with compassion. He comes with compassion. 
And he's able to do that because he knows our weakness. He understands our nature. We think of how he is described in chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's not far and distant looking down and saying, how could you people do that? But he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In his human nature, he knew weakness. He knew tiredness. He knew disappointments. He knew hurt. He knew betrayal. He knew sorrow and agony and pain. In all of these things he shared, he was like us. And we don't ever say to Jesus like we can say to some others, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never experienced it. Whether it's a matter of pain or poverty. And other people say, oh, I feel for you. And say, you've been healthy your whole life. You've never lacked for anything. How can you know what I'm going through? But here Jesus, he shared in our nature. He knew all these things. He experienced them. And he's able to sympathize. He knows what we go through. And it is his compassion that drew him to us. That sets his love upon us. And here we think about how that is described. That he knew a depth of sorrow of suffering that we cannot even begin to imagine. It's described for us in verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. This is what he was moved to. And part of that would have been during his life as he presented the word of life. And he was rejected. As he presented Away to God, the truth through himself, and he was despised. As he would look over the crowds and see them, as sheep without a shepherd, straying, wandering, lost, being attacked, and, and how it grieved him, and how he had compassion on them. But even more focused in the Garden of Gethsemane thinking about the judgment that he was about to bear. As he would come, representing God's people, bringing a sacrifice, not a sheep, not a goat, not a bull, but himself. And we think of his agony as he thought about that judgment. If it was possible, let this cup pass from me. Faced with that, how do we get a perspective on that? We think of what Scripture teaches us, that sinners will face an eternal judgment for their sin. And that's one person 
And you think of Jesus as he represents all of his people. As he takes all of their sin. And he carries it himself. Who can imagine such a crushing weight? And yet it is his compassion that moves him to do so. Here you see the compassion of Jesus. That yes, this is the cost and yet... He presses ahead, not my will, but yours. He declares to the Father. He cries out to him who is able to save from death. It's not save from dying. Jesus would and did die. But he was saved from death because death could not hold him. He was pure, innocent, spotless, undefiled. He was holy. And therefore, though he died, he was raised again to life. Death could not keep him. And he gains that victory. He was heard because of his reverence, because of his godly fear. It was a devotion to his father out of that pure and perfect love. This is what Jesus did because of his compassion. And there is commentary then. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That might seem like a bit of a puzzling sentence. If we think about Jesus and we think, well, wasn't he perfect? How did he have to learn obedience? Was he not always obedient? And he was, but there is a difference between knowing something and having learned something. As I was growing up, I was in a greenhouse business with my dad, and we got a welder. And I read about it, I learned about it from a friend, and he said, this is what you do. And he came over and he says, this is how you do it. And he made this beautiful well. Just, it was simple. And I said, oh, I know how to do this. And so I took that rod and I tried and I got stuck. <laughs> and I fought with it. And, and I finally got something well, then it was splattered all over. And I go, what is wrong? I knew it. But you see, I had not learned it. I could know something. But we learn something through practice. We demonstrate it. And this is what Jesus did. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He demonstrated. He showed. He manifested that in his human nature there was that absolute perfect devotion to God, rejecting every temptation, giving every obedience. And as he lived his life, there was a maturity there was a fullness of that obedience that he proved himself to be perfect. And it was through what he suffered that he would not turn aside, that he would not seek an easier way, but that he was willing to suffer to become that Savior. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. 
as Jesus offered himself that sacrifice, as he was that high priest who gave himself as that lamb, even as we sang earlier in one of the songs, worthy, worthy is the lamb. It was Jesus, that sacrifice, and he is that high priest the one who offers to God that sacrifice that is sufficient. And that reminds us that as he is that source of eternal salvation, that there is a need for that salvation. This was not some abstract reality. This was something dealing with the lives, with the souls, the hearts of individuals with a need that they had for salvation, for deliverance. For the scripture teaches that we are all born sinners. That we are under God's judgment. That we are in need of salvation. And the picture given in the Old Testament of sacrifice, that what are the wages of sin? Death. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And the Old Testament pictured that. Every time a person came to God confessing their sin, what was done a sacrifice. It was the life of the animal that was taken, representing the judgment of God, representing death. And yet, did that make a person perfect, holy, they would have to offer another sacrifice the next day, the next week, because it could not make them perfect. It was the picture. But the picture is fulfilled in Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And so, as our writer points back, to the work of the high priest, their calling, their compassion. Because Christians are not those who have improved themselves, those who have figured out this is how I can do a lot of things and God will be pleased with me and Jesus will help me. Every Christian acknowledges their guilt, the just judgment that they would be under. But what is their plea? It is Jesus. He is my sacrifice. He is the one because of his calling, because of his compassion. It is Jesus who has said to me, come to me and I will give you rest. Believe in me and you will have life abundantly. This is what a Christian is. Not those who think they're better, who have advanced. If anyone here is not a believer, here is the glory of the gospel. 
It is not work hard, improve, do your best. It is be broken over your sin, acknowledge it, and cry out for the one who has compassion, who has said that any who come to him, he will in no wise cast aside, that there might be mercy. For being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And his command is, believe in me. That source of salvation is something we are reminded of when we pray. And how often do we end our prayers in Jesus' name, amen? And what's the significance of that? Each time we say that, we are invoking that high priest ministry of Jesus. It is in his name because he is the one who ever lives to intercede for his people. He is the one that we approach God through. There is no other way, no other name. And therefore, every time you pray, think about that when you end in Jesus' name. It is because he is our high priest. He has offered that perfect sacrifice. He is the one who is heard by the Father, who is able to take our imperfect prayers even and offer them in the perfection of his ministry, of his work. And there is that glory. The completeness of that sacrifice Perfection of it means that we are saved. But we are reminded in, in this one little phrase, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, that Jesus did not die so that we can continue in our sin and say, oh, it's covered, I don't have to worry. No, even as the high priest was set apart, and wore that crown that said holiness unto the Lord. So Jesus Christ, as he offered his life for his people, gathers them so that they might be holy. And even as Jesus, perfect as he was, learned obedience, we as Christians are called to learn obedience as well. Not that we don't know it, not that we don't desire it, but we are called to learn it. Jesus, when he confronted the Pharisees, said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, the sacrifice was something external. It, was, it cost something, but it could be done. I can get this animal, I can bring it, I can see it slaughtered, and, and I've taken care of it. I'm right with God. Jesus is saying, you've missed the greater thing. I desire mercy. Learn that. Learn a heart of compassion, even as Jesus showed that compassion. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn. From me. We learn what it means to be a child of God, to be saved 
by the finished work of Jesus. We are reminded in Titus, where Paul writes, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. It is something that we need to learn, put into practice, so that it becomes our new nature. That we, too, have this calling from God, called by Him in Jesus Christ, show a compassion, a mercy, a grace to Him. And it is something that we are moved to because our God has loved us, has provided an eternal salvation. Because Jesus Christ was called and showed the compassion so that we might live forever with him. May we see that work of Jesus as high priest bringing us to God to enjoy him forever. Amen.